This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. And I'm Jan Westmark, and you are listening to the monthly Sidelines episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 3rd, episode 2865. This episode is brought to you by Blue Ribbon Scholars. The episode is a special episode of Horses in the Morning every first Thursday of the month brought to you by Sidelines Magazine, the magazine for horse people about horse people. We are so excited to be back today. Today, in this episode, we're going to be catching up with Bay Nolan Armstrong, who is a collegiate writer from the University of Georgia equestrian team. We're also going to hear from Rob Jacobs about how he went from our Hot Horseman of the Year to our Hunter Jumper columnist. And I'm also really excited to get to know my co-host, Jan, and uh, she's going to ask me some questions, too, I think, down the road. But... Jan, I am so excited. I've been wanting to ask you these questions a long time, and this is such a great opportunity to get to ask you. Uh, So first, I want to know, how did you get into horses? Oh, Brittany, just like everybody else, (laughs) all the horse girls in the world. Um, My mom said there was something wrong with me when I was like a toddler because all I would do was crawl on the floor and whinny like a horse. (laughs) Um, no one in my family had horses or knew anything about horses. I was born in Oklahoma, and my mom said there was like an an Indian that lived down the street that had this white horse, and I guess he would ride it, and I was just enthralled. And that's how it started. And then they bought me one of those, you know, those horses on the spring that you rock back and forth on? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're probably too young to know about those, but, um, and I would, you no, know, I, tip I it. Definitely did. <laughs> okay, tip it all the way over and back, yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was, we moved to Maryland when I was about five years old. My uh, parents, there was a girl at church that had a pony, and I started going to her house for, I guess it was riding lessons. I don't know if I just rode the pony or she actually taught me anything, but um, his name was Toby, and that those were my first riding lessons. Wow. So did you start, like, owning horses after that or just never well, got um, out of it? Uh, yeah, never got out of it. When, when, when I was 10, we moved to Florida. And uh, I was in, I think, fourth or fifth grade, and I went down the street after school one day to hang out with one of my friends, and her sister had a pony. And she came home, and she said, hey, I'm going to sell my pony for $100. Do you want to buy it? So I was already taking riding lessons at the time, um, and she knew that, so that's why she asked me. And I was like, $100? Let me go ask my parents. So I got on my bicycle and I rode home and I don't know what possessed them to say yes, but they gave me a hundred dollars. Um, and I, I think they did it because they didn't have to give me riding lessons anymore. Um, it might've been cheaper to have the pony. I don't know, but I did from that moment on, I was 10, I think I was 10. I had to pay board and pay all his expenses. So I babysat like no one's business to take care of that pony. His name was Geronimo. I called him Mo. He was uh, a little black Welsh pony. He was not fancy at all. And he was mean as a snake. Um, (laughs) I loved him. He would bite me and kick me and, uh, you know, toss me off all the time. (laughs) Um, But I still loved him. And then later, years, years later, uh, my parents were moving out of that house in Tampa and I went 
to help them. And I mean, this is probably 25, 30 years later. <laughs> and um, I was in the garage and all underneath my dad's wooden workbench, I had taken a marker and written, I love Mo all over that. Aww, all over that's that. so cute. I know. I did love him so much because he was my first pony. Oh, what happened to him? Like, did you have him? No, I sold him. No, I sold him because I was, I'm really tall and I got, I grew fast and then I sold him and Mm. I got another horse and, um, I had him through high school and then in college I started leasing a Connemara pony. He was big. He was like 15 hands and he was amazing. His name was Shillelagh and, uh, Irish word. And, um, I started compete. I showed him in the hunter jumpers. Um, I had a farm by then. I taught lessons. Um, but he he was such an incredible horse. Uh, he was one of those that would stand right outside the ring before you went in and fall sound asleep. And <laughs> when they t- announced that it was your turn, he, you would pick up the reins. He would, oh, he'd wake up and then he'd go in the ring and he'd lay down a course and win and come back out and go back to sleep. Wow. Yeah, he was great. Was he one of your favorites? Yes, I loved him. In fact, he started my love of Connemara ponies. Um, and I ended up probably with about five or six. I bred a few, um, probably had my, yeah, my whole lesson. So when I eventually moved to Wellington and I had a, a horse farm there and taught lessons, I think I had four or five Connemaras and they were just great lesson horses. Wow. I did not know that, that you bred Connemara ponies. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So all along this way, like, you know, you're showing and you've got a farm you also went to school for journalism right right well I went to University of Florida um (laughs) so I wanted to be a veterinarian as most horse girls and boys do um and I got to school my first semester and the I can't remember what I took some kind of science and some kind of heavy math and I was like no way I can't do this <laughs> I was like I'm ooh, and I'm gonna be cut out for this um so I went up to the guidance counselor's office and I remember talking to him and saying okay what can I get a degree in that doesn't require math or science and he said you can be a journalist or you can, be in ele- <laughs> or you can go into elementary education and I was like ah okay I'll do journalism I had no idea <laughs> I don't even know if I knew what it was. I wow. just don't didn't know if I could write. I didn't know anything, but there I went. Uh, wow. So what did you do with that after you graduated? Um, I wrote for, well, my first job was at a newspaper in South Carolina. Uh, I was the lifestyles editor. Oh, actually, I worked there for one month as a reporter, and then the lifestyles editor uh, moved. And so they made me the lifestyles editor. And the funniest part was that if you knew me, I don't know how to cook um, and I'm not real <laughs> well versed on food, but I was also the food editor. Oh, so, awesome. uh, so did you like, learn about food by doing that? No, but all the garden clubs and all the ladies clubs would send me the recipes to put in the paper. And, you know, I didn't know. I was like, sure. <laughs> don't know if they were good or bad. <laughs> uh, but I had I still had a horse farm in um, uh, in South Carolina, had, you know, when we moved there. And uh, I moved to this really tiny town called Abbeville, and I brought that same horse, Shillelagh, with us. And he arrived by um, a big rig in the middle of the night, like in the middle of the night. He got there at like three in the morning, and I put him in my backyard. And the next morning, I went down to the feed store to get hay or something, and I walked in there, and all the people in there were like, oh, you're the one that the horse came in the middle of the night. Because, yeah, it was a small town. Uh, (laughs) 
they all knew. And that was so funny because I like, I think I remember putting the hay and the feed in my truck. And then I said like, how do I pay for this? Cause they weren't asking me for money and they go, Oh, we'll just send you a bill at the end of the month. And I said, well, do you need my address? And they just said, we know where you live. <laughs> wow. Wow. How fun. Yeah. It was a little that's... culture shock, but okay. <laughs> that town. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's, that's so fun. I grew up in a small town too, which we can talk about, but there's all those little quirks, you know, like the big ribbon cuttings when we got our second streetlight and stuff. But it's just <laughs> yeah. different. It's just yeah, different. it is very different. And then, then I moved to um, Fort Lauderdale and then eventually Wellington. So I had a horse farm in Fort Lauderdale and then in Wellington. Um, and obviously that is not small town America. Um, yeah. And, but it was a great experience. Uh, I had um, kids that I took to the horse shows uh, to WEF and to Littlewood and uh, it was great. And then I actually ran summer camp in the summer. Um, so that was always fun. Wow. That is so cool that you're, you're so into it. So how did you kind of transition from that into now being editor of sidelines? So I had written, I was writing for like the Miami Herald and the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two newspapers down there. And um, I would see sidelines at the show. And so one day I just called the editor and I said, hey, I you know, just wanted to know if she needed somebody else to write. And she said, sure. So I started writing for them. And I think I wrote for them for a few years before she retired. And then I became the editor. Wow. That's awesome. And now you live in Tennessee, right? Yep. After I sold my horse farm in Wellington, I moved to North Carolina. I moved to Asheville. I was very near the Tryon International Equestrian Center. Mm. Um, and then two, so I lived there for almost 10 years. It was beautiful in the mountains. And then last, uh, two years ago, right before COVID hit, I moved to uh, Fairfield Glade, which is in Crossville, Tennessee. And then um, a bunch of stuff shut down, but I, when the stuff opened back up, I started taking line dancing classes. Ooh. And the first day I walked into line dancing, there was one empty spot in the front row, and it was right next to this man who I married about three months ago. Aw, yay. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> so then we started dating, and then we got married. <laughs> yay. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. But Brittany, we're also going to get to know you in a few minutes, but first... Let's go meet Mira Korber. She is the founder of Blue Ribbon Scholars. Hi, Mira. It's so nice to talk to you. Hey, I see that you went to Yale. Now, that's pretty cool. Did you always want to go to an Ivy League school? Um, To be honest, uh, I actually really wanted to just ride horses and be a professional. (laughs) So um, I was always very academic, but um, in my heart of hearts, I really just wanted to go uh, jump Grand Prix, um, even though that wasn't particularly realistic. It does help me uh, relate to my students pretty well. Oh, that makes sense when they want all they want to do is go out and ride. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you founded this company, Blue Ribbon Scholars, that helps riders go to school while also competing. Awesome. After we started in 2019. So I've been hearing a lot about a COVID learning gap. I don't have any kids in school yet. So can you tell me What is the COVID learning gap and why is it so concerning? Sure. So the learning gap might be more easily understood as unfinished learning, which also has a little bit more of a positive sort of spin on it and puts less of the blame for this unfinished learning on the students themselves due to most of the disruption that occurred during the COVID pandemic leading to absences, 
um, disrupted teaching, illness, obviously, general confusion and unpreparedness on the part of schools, public and private, to pivot to an entirely new mode of teaching, um, mm-hmm. and one that did not always account for students that depended on services they receive in school and also really needed that dedicated space, which they may not have had uh, in their mm-hmm. home life. So how does that kind of learning, incomplete learning, especially affect students who show horses? I think to some extent, students that are on the road um, all the time actually were very prepared for a disruption because many of them uh, missed a lot of school to begin with. So in some senses, that was actually an advantage. But in other other senses, um, they were just as much um, subject to disorganized teaching methods and teachers that were overwhelmed, to be perfectly fair to the teachers, with a lot of undue expectation on meeting students that really needed different levels of instruction and different levels of attention all through one Zoom class, which was fairly impossible, or in other cases through asynchronous learning modules that essentially are reading, comprehension check, take a test, uh, not very growth-oriented and much more just kind of check the box and and move on. So students that that show horses maybe had um, some resilience to this based on their experience, but I think the lack of continuity in how school was being delivered was a particularly um, new reality that that they had to contend with as they dealt with the disruption to both their their lives and their schooling. Sense. So, Mira, tell us a little bit about Blue Ribbon Scholars and how it works and where you're located. So, we are um, located currently on site at HITS Ocala. Um, we operate year-round, um, both in person and virtually, depending on where our students are. Um, at the moment, we are working to kind of create that space um, for our students where they can come learn and follow their home curriculum from either online school or virtu- virtual school or their regular private or public school. Um, we work with each institution to make sure we are modifying the workload and the curriculum to help each student learn and grow. And while covering the topics they need to cover, also just actually take some time and sink their teeth into material and, and learn something and take a more growth-oriented mindset as opposed to checking off the to-do list and not really worrying about engagement or how much a student actually understands the core concept. Amira, can you tell us the website so people can go look you up? Sure. We're available at www.blueribbonscholars.com or you can reach us by email at info at blueribbonscholars.com. We're going to get to our next guest in just a moment, but first I wanted to tell you, our good friend Shireen Fuquay is the founder of Gumbits, the all-natural chewing gum for horses that promotes salivation and relaxation. Shireen has started a cool new series called Gumbits Zoom Chatting, where she interviews top industry professionals from all across the horse world. The first two episodes have already been released. In episode one, hear from Gil Merrick. He's the former USEF Assistant Executive Director for their sports program, as well as 2008 U.S. Dressage Olympic Team Chef to Keep. Episode two gets to know FEI eventer Genevieve Faith and her cat. Find Gumbit Zoom chatting on YouTube or sign up for the Sideline Scoop at sidelinesmagazine.com to get every episode delivered right to your email inbox. Our next guest is Bay Nolan Armstrong. Bay had a later start to her career showing on the 
A and double A circuits, just beginning when she was 16, but her hard work and determination earned her a spot on the University of Georgia equestrian team. Bay began riding with Heritage Farm in 2018, competed in equitation finals her final junior year, and continued to train with Heritage when she has a break from school. Bay is currently in her junior year at UGA, majoring in wildlife sciences, and had a memorable sophomore year last year when the equestrian team took home the national championship title. Bay, congratulations on the national championship. I love the picture of you with your championship ring in the magazine. So do you wear it all the time or do you keep it somewhere safe? Thank you so much. Um, It's very exciting, but I actually wear it almost every day. Like, I think I wear it more than most people do. A lot of people like have it in their little box still and like it's on their dresser, but I genuinely wear it every single day. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love it because you can look at it and... um have those great memories. Um, speaking of memories, I went to University of Florida, so I have to give you a little bit of a hard time for going to University of Georgia. Oh, gosh. Well, you know what? Like, that, that's completely fine. I follow some football. I follow most football, but if you said Auburn or Alabama, I might be a little more hesitant to speak about it, but <laughs> Florida's fine. It's okay. Okay, well, I'm just going to throw in a go Gators, but okay, that's all. <laughs> all right, go dogs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Bay, what do you like best about the University of Georgia? Well, I would probably say there's like three things that are like my top things that I like about Georgia. So obviously the first one is the equestrian team. Um, that's the main reason that I even decided to um, consider going to Georgia or consider going anywhere down south was because of the equestrian team and our program. Um, also I am in a really, really good program for my major, which is wildlife sciences. And we have basically like a very, very good program with it. And so a lot of great professors and faculty. Um, and then the third reason is probably just the city of Athens and the campus itself is just probably like, so it's, it's so ideal for me. And Uh I like, love the size of the school. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Like the city of Athens itself is just incredible and the people I've met here are great. So that's probably the three main reasons. Okay. And where did you grow up? I grew up actually outside of Detroit, Michigan in this um, city called Harrison Township. So I'm about 30 minutes north of Detroit in Michigan. Ah, so Georgia's a big change. Oh yeah. It's a big, big change. I honestly haven't even gone down south very like that often before I even came down here. Oh yeah. Um, so it was it was a big change, that's for sure. Wow, that's so cool that you're majoring in wildlife sciences. Have you got to like work with any interesting animals or do you hope to be able to work with exotic animals? Um, well, okay, I haven't gotten to work with a ton. I did actually get to like wrestle a deer last semester, which was kind <laughs> of fun. Wow. I was yeah, I was in like I was in a lab for one of my classes and we were we have these deer barns on um in like this like section of forest that we own and I got to like put one into like a chute to like get its like weight and like all of its measurements and stuff and I was like in charge of holding its head and it was kind of scary but mm. um I got to do that and then I you know I have a lot obviously I have a lot of experience handling large animals already like horses and stuff yeah. and I would hope to continue um working hands-on with animals either you know locally or like internationally, like any of that kind of stuff. I love exotic animals too. So that's so cool. A deer barn. That's 
I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> I didn't either until I came here. They have like little stalls and everything. It's really cute. Aw. <laughs> that is cute. What does a deer barn, what happens in a deer barn? I mean, I have only been there like twice so far, but it's basically just like for deer that like we, ha- we have like some deer that are like, that were like hand raised, like that were like abandoned by their moms that are basically pets now that like live there. And then there's also deer that are like kind of wild around there that we like feed or we like use them to, um, like do a lot of studies with and like take measurements and just like learn more about them. So it's kind of, it. it's like a research facility. Okay. Wow. That's, that's very cool that you get to do so much hands-on stuff, you know? Yeah. That's um, what I love. I would rather be outside than in like an office. So yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned that the big part of going to, to uh, UGA was just uh, the, equestrian team so riding collegiately yeah. you know you get to ride a lot of horses which you're kind of familiar with because you were a catch rider before um, and mm-hmm. you usually don't have a lot of time to get to know the horses right the collegiate oh yeah you don't get much time at all when you're um if you're uh competing you basically a draw will come out like earlier in the morning let's say the meet's at two the draw comes out at like 11 and wow it's basically like everyone just picks out of a hat kind of is what the coaches and everybody does. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what horse you're riding about an hour or so before you actually have to get on it. And then you get like two minutes to warm it up basically. Like you don't get very long and you just have to wow. do a really quick warm up and then go straight into the ring and figure it out quite quickly. Do you ever know about the horses in general and like, Oh, I hope I don't get that horse or yeah, is it just a complete yeah, mystery? No, usually, like, we have a good idea of all the horses at the different schools, especially the ones that we go to often. Like, we know a lot of Auburn's horses and A&M's horses in South Carolina. Like, we have a pretty good idea of all of their horses. So, a lot of times it's nice, like, if you're starting and you're younger and you've never seen these horses before, you can ask an upperclassman and be like, oh, I'm riding, you know, like, Pixie today. Like, do you know, like, what should I do for her? And some people are like, oh, my gosh, I rode her last year. She has a swap. You have to be careful of this. But then every once in a while, teams bring in new horses, and then nobody has any idea. So you just kind of have wow. to wing it. Oh, wow. Wow. Have you ever had a, a horse that had, like, a weird quirk like that or something that just kind of didn't quite go the way you would have liked? <laughs> I mean, there's always horses that, you know, like, horses are horses. You know, they're not always perfect little creatures like we sometimes think they are but um I mean I don't have any specific memories of like horses with little quirks but I ended up actually um taking home one of our horses last summer to Heritage in New York and he was a horse that everyone thought he had a little quirk because like sometimes he gets a little too fresh and he like gets all excited or like you know sometimes he's just kind of like stupid and you're like and his name's Eli but I like fell in love with him and I loved him Aww. so much that I ended up taking him home over the summer and competing with him and everything. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. So, and how did he yeah, like do? One with a little, oh, he did, he did so good. Uh, we did uh, a lot of the adult medals and, like, the adult equitation and everything. Uh-huh. And he was a star. I think he actually, like, I think qualified me for NHS finals and got me a lot of points for area finals, but I didn't end up doing either of them just because... I was busy at school and I didn't really have a horse. So, yeah, but no, it was a really, really good experience. And he's definitely one with a little quirk that. 
And did I he come back? Did he come back to school? And he's is he competing yep. again? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's back. So I get to see him whenever I'm there every day, and I always make sure to say hi to him. Everybody calls him like my son. It's very cute. <laughs> like I'll walk in and the barn managers are like, your son was bad today. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. So do most of the horses go home with different riders for the summer? Um, I would actually not say that most of them do, but there's a handful every year. So I think we had like maybe like four or five that went home. But a lot of the girls on the team have their own horses in addition, mm-hmm. you know, so when they go home, they just ride their own horses. But I don't currently own any at the moment. Um, so it worked out really well for me to be able to, like, lease something from the school. So, Wow. Have you owned your own horses before? I can't remember from the article. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I, um, I owned three, right? Yeah, I've owned three, and I've leased a bunch. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, cause- yeah. I owned my, my first horse, his name was Stanley, and then I owned my second horse, whose name was Romeo, and then I owned my third horse, who was his name was Tico, and he was, like, my most recent one, but I we ended up selling him after I aged out. Uh-huh. Um, and then in between that or after Tico, I, I leased a bunch of stuff, like, a couple horses a season, usually. Wow, wow so it sounds yeah. like you did some of that with heritage, right? And you still go back to heritage over the summers. What is it like there? Yeah, I still, so I started riding with them when I was 17, um, back in like December of like 2017 ish. And, uh, I still go back every summer or at least the couple last couple of summers and over breaks. I was just there in Wellington a few weeks ago. Um, and if I'm able to bring a horse with me, like I was with Eli, then I end up riding him for a lot mm. of the time. Or if I'm able to like lease something and, or have Andre find me something to lease, um, I usually do that. And then in addition to like having that horse for myself, usually for whatever period of time I'm there, I do uh, a lot of like work while I'm there too. So I do a lot of like catch riding um, and like hacking and getting horses ready for shows and like kind of assisting barn managers and the trainers and our clients and, you know, taking care of other horses and feeding and kind of miscellaneous work. But I try to do a little bit of everything when I'm there. That's awesome. Is I've heard that Heritage is kind of a, a bigger program. What's kind of the vibe like there? Does it feel like family, a, even though it's big or is it more of like a business? Yeah. So I think they do a really good job of it's, it's a very large program, but I think they do a really good job of like actually making it feel like a family. Like you could go up to any trainer at any time and find them wherever they are and talk to them about what's going on with you and your horse personally. And they're really, really good at like paying attention to every single client, even though we have a lot of them. But, you know, just when we have a lot of clients and a lot of horses, that just means we also have like a lot of workers and a lot of staff. So like it never feels um, like it's too big, you know? So I think currently we have about 60 horses in Florida and then we probably have another at least 50 up or maybe 40 up north in Katona. So during the winter, we have about half of our barn that stays up north with um, one of our trainers named Dottie and a couple other trainers and a few other people. And that's like a group that stays up north. And then there's a group that comes down to Florida with Andre and Patricia and Lena and Mikey and Caroline and all of them. So wow. we, and then in the summer, everyone's all together in Katona. So we have like usually 
at least a hundred horses there. I would say wow. over the summer, like yeah, last year we had we had over a hundred. That's amazing! Um, wow. Yeah, but everyone's all together at that point. So, wow. Um, well, Bay, it has been great talking to you. Oh, by the way, are you going to Florida this year? Um, I well, I went a couple weeks ago, and because of our show schedule, I'm not sure, or our meet schedule for the equestrian team, I'm not sure if I'm going to really have many free weekends. But there might be a weekend in March that I pop down there and say hi to everybody. So, okay, sounds good. Well, um, I'm in Tennessee now, so I'm going to Florida for a quick trip. But I was hoping to catch up with you there. But maybe we'll catch up another time. Maybe at the Florida oh, Georgia yeah. well, game. How about the Florida Georgia <laughs> game? <laughs> oh. For sure. You have to, I don't know when the next game is, but next year we will, <laughs> year. We'll, we'll meet up for sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds paint good. and everything. I expect yeah. to see pictures. <laughs> That's right. Well, Bay, it's been great talking to you and I'm so glad we featured you in this last issue and um, on this podcast. And I just wish you the best of luck in school, with your career, with riding. And I hope you get more of those rings. Hey, did you see that picture of Tom Brady where he was like holding all those rings on his hand? He had all the yeah. rings on him. That could be yeah, you. I did. That could that, be you. Oh, in the gosh, it could. Yeah, there well, you go. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. The Gulf Coast Winter Classic Series is an award-winning seven-week winter hunter-jumper circuit in Gulfport, Mississippi at the Harrison County Fairgrounds. Competitors from lead line to Grand Prix riders can enjoy southern hospitality and the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast from February 16th to March 27th, 2022. While you're there, don't forget to pick up your copy of Sidelines Magazine. Thanks to Gulf Coast Winter Classics and the Classic Company Horse Show for sponsoring this episode. Hi, Brittany. So listen, a little bit ago, you asked me questions about mm -hmm. life and growing up with horses. So now it's time for the tables to turn. No, I get fair. to talk to my assistant <laughs> editor, Brittany Grover. Um, Brittany, were you into horses growing up? So kind of like you, you know, my parents were not into horses at all. They were kind of city slickers from California. But I just, as long as I can remember, I loved horses. We have this kind of... Uh, you know, famous home movie, not famous, but you know how they're famous in your family uh, of me being three years old and opening a Christmas present. And it's a pair of cowboy boots. And I I had curly blonde hair and I just got so excited. And I went, oh, cowboy boots. <laughs> and then immediately you see, you see my face fall and it's, but I don't have a horse. <laughs> and just, I always, I always loved them. And then um, it wasn't until I was probably 12, we moved from kind of a more populated area out to a smaller town where we had a half acre. And me with my little kid brand I'm going half acre, you know, that's big enough for something. That's big enough for at least a mini. So I saved up my money. I was probably one of the last kids who had a paper route growing up to... <laughs> to uh, earn some money and I saved up my money and I bought a miniature horse. I actually picked him out right, you know, right from the breeder um, before he was even named. I got to name him and uh, she met us at a show near our home. We, I grew up in Utah and she, we met her and took my little ace. His name was HHP's Royal Ace. And uh, we, took him home in the back of our minivan he did try to climb over the seat a couple of times but uh, <laughs> we we got him home kept him in our garage and well until we till I bought a <laughs> kept him in our garage until I upgraded him to the rubber made shed from Costco <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but uh, that was my, he was my first, he was my first horse. And that's kind of how that was. Yep. I, I loved him. I would walk around him and we actually had a dog who was, we had a huge dog and a tiny horse and we'd walk them both at the same size. They were at yeah, the same time. They were about the same size and just get all these double takes from people, you know, driving by or whatever, because we had a giant dog and a tiny horse. Is that's is a lot that- fun. That's awesome because I also um, had some miniature horses at my farm, which I transported in the back of my car. I think I had a minivan at the time. Also. They're travel size. You yeah, know, they are travel size. <laughs> and then I also had a Great Dane. So the same oh, thing. Wow. I had yep. a big, big dog and the little horse. And I loved that the Great Dane's feet were bigger than the mini's hooves. Yeah. Um, so how long did you have that mini for? Let's see. I had him for probably... Well, until 2008, when my dad was going to get a job in California, we, I sold him. And actually, so I sold him to a lady who just loved all animals. And she promised that she would never sell him. And, and a, you know, a little while later, I saw her husband. And I said, oh, how's Ace? And he said, oh, we sold him. I was like, what? You sold my mini? Like, I was so heartbroken that, like, I lost him. And then my siblings are really into music and we were at a music festival years later and I went to listen to them play and they had a little, you know, little hot walker with ponies for pony rides. And, and I, I started looking and I went, that's Ace. (gasps) That's my miniature horse. And like between, you know, when they got all the kids off and before they put any on, I like ran up and like knelt down and like threw my arms around him and was just crying. And everybody was like, what's going on he was my horse and it turns out he got he got kind of an attitude because he got fat and he got kind of spoiled after he left me but so he got an attitude which is why the next people sold him but then by the time he got to this little pony ride place you know the he had his little girl like there's this little you know six-year-old girl and she was the only one that he would let catch him but he loved her and that made me really happy to to get to see that he at least found found a person and found a good, a good home. Yeah. I love that. So then, uh, later, did you go to college? I did right out of high school. I got a creative writing scholarship actually to Brigham Young university. And I started attending there, I think in 2010. And, um, by my second year there actually completely unrelated, I ended up cutting my second year short because I got um, viral meningitis. No way. Yeah. I don't know who gets viral meningitis. I just, I have a really special body. Um, (laughs) It it gets all sorts of interesting uh, diagnoses. I'm like, who gets viral meningitis? It's so funny because when I had the symptoms, you know, we, you know, you pull up to the emergency room and everybody's got, this was before masks were cool. You know, you know, everybody puts masks on and is like, doesn't want to touch you because you might have this horrible disease of meningitis. But then it's just, it's quote unquote, just viral. So, it, the, you know, the good news is it didn't kill me. The bad news is it took 16 weeks to recover from because there's nothing they can do for viral. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, so that kind of cut my that year short and then the by the following year um my mom had got bedridden completely unrelated i mean it it makes us sound like kind of a hypochondriac family but i promise we're not and uh uh she ended up bedridden and i had two younger siblings in high school and my dad was trying to work and he was actually going to go back to graduate school so it just it 
just didn't really work out for me to ever go back and and finish my degree. But I was an English major. And that's so funny because, you know, when I put it on my resume that I attended BYU, sometimes I think people get the idea that I graduated. And uh, yeah, so am I fired? <laughs> well, I have to have to think about that now. <laughs> <laughs> So. I know. <laughs> Every time I think about it, I'm like, I think Jan thinks that I have a degree, but I never, I never said that I did. So. <laughs> I just thought you had a journalism degree, but hey, um, you're an excellent writer. And so we're going to keep you. Um, oh, yay. Thank you. Yay. So then that begs the question, how did you come to work for Sidelines? So after that whole experience, I was just working in retail and I was like, what? do I do with my life? Like, I'm not really going anywhere, you know, kind of all my, like, do I go back to school? I didn't know what I wanted. And um, I'm a very, you know, spiritual and religious person. So I was praying about it. And I went to a very um, sacred place and was kind of pondering. And the thought came to me, get horses in your life. And I was like, that sounds really selfish. Cause this is the thing that I've wanted my whole life. Like, how could the answer to what should I do with my career be? you know, get horses in your life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, all right, you know, I'm, it's worth a shot. So I kept working retail. And since I had the money, I, I looked up the number for a, a barn um, that I knew of and got in contact with an amazing trainer who I've actually got to feature in the magazine since then. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah. She's amazing. And um, her name is Sarah Kirby. If anybody knows Sarah, she is one of my favorite person people ever. Um, but I was riding with her and she recommended some online, you know, tax stores or whatever. And one day I happened across a contest. It was like one of those things that you just, you know, see and you enter. It was to win a VIP all expense paid trip for two to the winter equestrian festival. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll enter it. And the contest was a writing contest. So it was to say it was like using 13 words or less or something. It was like, write why you should win this contest. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly like deserving, you know, as far as like, because my immediate thought was like, well, you know, if somebody like had cancer or something, you know, they would could write, <laughs> you know, write that and they, they would deserve it. But you know what? I just wrote because no horse could carry me the 2,356 miles to Wellington. That was what I wrote. And I forgot wow. about it. I forgot about it. And then one day out of, I don't even know why I was doing this, but I, w I was going through my junk mail and I saw this email from Horseware Ireland. It was like about this contest. I was like, hmm. And I clicked on it and it was like, we have chosen you as the winner of our VIP trip to Wellington. I was like, no way. And of course, my first thought was, this is a scam. So I <laughs> kind of, I kind of researched like the email address and it was legit and the company was legit and the, um, the, yeah, it was, it looked legit. And I, so I finally got started getting excited and I told my parents, I won this trip. And they're like, and I think that's a scam. I'm like, no, I know it's not a scam. I already looked into it. It is real. I want this trip. And, and, uh, I decided to take my mom with me and, you know, I told my, I went to my trainer and I was like, so is the winter equestrian festival a big deal? Cause I was just barely into horses. You know, she's like, uh, yeah, that's like a really big deal. And I was like, well, I kind of won this trip. And she's like, no way. So, we did. We got flown, my mom and I, to Florida, and we met some incredible people. We got to go see 
you know, the dressage Grand Prix Friday night and we went to the show jumping Saturday and got to sit, you know, in the big fancy VIP tent and eat all the incredible food. And, you know, I don't, I don't drink. So we got all the delicious virgin cocktails. That's probably one of the biggest regrets of my life is not asking this amazing man what this virgin cocktail was because it was delicious and I've never been able to find out. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, and it was this incredible experience. And I was like, wow, I really want to be a part of this world. And by then, you know, the I'd gotten to know the people that were hosting us and they kind of said, well, you know, you're actually a really good writer. You should look into one of these horse magazines. I was like, there are horse magazines? Like, <laughs> how did I not know this? Because it's like a completely new world to me. And so when I got home, I pulled up the list for American Horse Publications and just started emailing anybody and everybody that I could that I could find. In fact, first I went and I wrote, I just wrote up some stories about horses and people like to put in a resume. And, and, uh, I, I just emailed them to as many people I could find. And one of them turned out to be a writer for sidelines who was like, Hey, (laughs) I'll pass your stuff along to my editor. And so it got to you and you hired me as an unpaid intern first. And then I worked my way up to paid intern. And then I became (laughs) a writer and, and uh, then I started writing cover stories, and now I'm assistant editor. So, uh, so yeah, it's been I, quite the journey. So, well, I'm glad I'm not going to fire you. And Brittany, you are an amazing writer, and you write so many of our stories. And it's such a, a great thing for me as the editor because uh, you're very good at proofing. You proof your own stories. Um, <laughs> one of those stories that you wrote uh, was on Rob Jacobs. He was one of our hot horsemen in 2020. And that story uh, won a big award for you and for the magazine. That's right. Yeah. And Rob Jacobs is also our next guest. He is a trainer, judge, and clinician now based in Seattle, Washington. But he's competed up and down both coasts in AA Hunter shows. He received a bachelor's degree from St. Andrews University in 2011, where he studied politics and equine business management and was instrumental on the IHSA and A show teams. In 2017, Rob completed his MBA, also from St. Andrews, and has gone on to complete all required coursework for a doctorate from Walden University. Now, Rob is the assistant trainer at Aileron Training Stables, a USEF Little R judge, and a USHJA consultant, in addition to putting on donation-based clinics for riders of all means through his organization, the Robert Lawrence House of Opportunity. So, Rob, you were our 2020 Hot Horseman. Uh, for the Sidelines Magazine, and you were on our cover, and you had a great story. Now, tell me how that affected your life. Yes. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on and uh, chatting with me. Um, It absolutely impacted me in more ways than I originally thought. Um, When we first spoke about it, I was a little nervous uh, about the idea Um, Those who really know me probably know that I can be more on the shy side or the introverted side of the spectrum. Um, So I just wasn't quite sure. Um, But the more we spoke about what the article would be around and um, and how it would, you know, tell the equestrian community the ways that I try to have an impact. Um, I felt, you know, more and more comfortable with the idea. So, um, so as the story came out um, that holiday season, that Christmas, um, you know, I received a lot of positive uh, feedback, um, not only about the 
of the pictures, uh, which were which were well done, but um, also just the the article itself and um, the uh, further encouragement to you know continue doing what it is I do and um, you know especially uh, as I show more and more now um, and at higher levels, um, it's a good way to continue to give back to all levels of the sport, but especially the the grassroots level. So just the, the uh, positive encouragement and positive feedback that I got was, was tremendous. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and Brittany wrote the story, so she's on here too, and she'll <laughs> talk to you in a second. But um, so I know when we interviewed you, you were living in North Carolina, you and your little dog, what's your dog's name? Yes, uh, her name is Maya, and uh, she's still kicking. She's uh, 13 now, but okay. she's doing well. <laughs> okay, good. So you were living in North Carolina, and then you moved to California for maybe like a year, and now you're up in Seattle. So tell us about that barn and what you're doing up there. Yes. So, oh. um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go oh, okay. Ahead. Sorry. I um, I accepted a senior. Uh, training uh, position uh, at Alaron Training Stables. Uh, it's based just outside of Seattle. And um, I've been doing that now for about five, four or five months now. And uh, it, it's going very well. It is definitely a good fit uh, for me. Um, with my last job, I essentially lived on the road. Um, mm. And although I had a place in Los Angeles, I was never home. You know, I was literally, you know, on the road one from one week to the next week to the next week to the next week. Um, so, uh, you know, that uh, wasn't as suitable for me. And, and it, you know, the position was not as good of a fit. Um, so the role that I'm in now, um, it's probably close to maybe 50 50, you know, 50 percent at home, 50 percent at shows. Um, you know, which, which I love. I like to travel and horse show, um, but I don't want to do it 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do like to, you know, train the horses and school the horses and go practice homework and, you know, things like that. And then use the show as the, as the test and just sort of, you know, see if you're making progress and that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, so it's going very well and, uh, we have a wide range of, of clients from the, you know, walk trot level all the way up to the, the big equitation, you know, meter 20 kids, you know, the junior jumper type kids as well. So, so we have all ends of the spectrum. Wow. That's awesome. How do you like the weather out there? That's certainly a change from California, probably from Carolinas as well. Yeah, I actually love it. And I was joking with someone about that today um, because, you know, my allergies in California, it reminds me of being in Maryland um, where it's just I'm not sure exactly what I'm allergic to, but it's something outdoors. Um, So when I and if I sound a little stuffy, I've been sneezing all morning, but um, and I remembered that it, oh, you know, I forget that something about California, but, but so no, it it is a big change going from California to, uh, Seattle. However, I love the Seattle weather and I am like allergic to nothing outdoors there. So, so my allergies are are a non-issue. Um, and then I, you know, it, it, I think going into it, uh, I thought that it rained 
every single day in Seattle and, and, and like quite a lot, you know, so I would call it like a downpour. It actually rarely downpours. Um, so I've been there now about four or five months. And I think I can remember two, two days where it's been a total downpour. Um, the other days, it's just a very light mist. Um, so it's, you know, it's, you definitely don't need an umbrella. You can just have a, a hat on your head and a water resistant jacket and you're good to go. Um, so I actually, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually lived in Paulsbo, which is on the West side of the water from Seattle. So I got used to that weather and, uh, you know, how I was going to say it's gray and the skies are gray, but everything was green. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of green out there. I don't know if it's similar where you are, which is a lot of trees and shrubs and ferns. I remember a lot of ferns. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is gray. And, um, you know, and every person is different. I think the weather impacts us all in different ways, though. But um, but for me, the gray has not seemed to bother my, you know, productivity and my, you know, mental and emotional health. You know, I, I think if I think if I worked in an office and I had a, you know, lived in Seattle and worked in a traditional, you know, nine to five office setting, I, I think that would probably be different. But because mm-hmm. I'm you know, I'm with the horses and that does so much for our mental and emotional health anyway. Um, you know, I've not had a problem with, with the gray, the gray weather. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. Obviously you've been very, very busy. Um, and I loved your article about burnout in the February issue. I think it's a very relevant issue, not just in the horse world right now, but in the world at large. And what prompted you to write about burnout? I just, you know, had been in recent, prior to writing that, just recent conversations um, with friends in the industry from, and, you know, because of all of my travels, I have friends, all, it seems like all over the country now, but, uh, and so it just some here on the West Coast and then speaking to some on the East Coast as well, and, and different friends just seem to have been in roles where they, they love their job, they, you know, they enjoyed what they did, but just were either coming into, uh, you know, different burnout stages. And, um, and, you know, I think we've all been there, whether it's someone in the horse industry or, or not. Um, and so those conversations sort of prompted me. Uh, and then, you know, I got to reflect on my time with, um, with my last job in California and I loved the job, um, but just was a little burned out with living on the road. So it was mm-hmm. that part of that job for me that um, caused me to, to sort of burn out. And um, so just reflecting on my experience with, with that job and, uh, and just those conversations. And I thought, you know, this is something that um, we've all experienced. And I think it's it's okay to talk about it and people usually don't want to talk about it because it, they may view it as, you know, Oh, it makes them seem, you know, weaker or they're not tough or, you know, they're not as, uh, as good of an equestrian, you know, if they are worried about, you know, needing time off or taking time for themselves mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, I don't know, I think it's our job to, to keep our own, keep ourselves, you know, balanced and happy and, and fulfilled so we can do our jobs better. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I love kind of the connection that I'm seeing between what you just talked about with the weather, you know, how the weather affects different people differently. And some people might thrive in one specific position and the same person in that or a different person in that same position might, it might be too much for them, or they might need to do other things to help them, you know, cope. And I just, you know, we're all so, so different and handle things different, whether it's, you know, actual activities or it's how we're thinking about it, you know? And so in your article, you kind of talked about a couple of the things that you do personally, Rob, to handle, you know, avoiding burnout or handle it once it's kind of creeping in. What are some of those things that you, that you do? Well, I'm always, you know, trying to pay attention to, you know, my, my body, you know, what, what is my, what, 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 are, what is my body saying to me physically in terms of, you know, um, maybe exhaustion or, or even mentally and emotionally, like what, what is my body saying to me? Uh, and, and some weeks it's, some weeks it's saying, dude, you can ride another hundred horses, you know, just keep going. <laughs> and, and then some weeks it says, okay, you know, you really need to just crawl into bed and just rest and watch TV, um, you know, play a game on your phone, you know, just to tone it down. Um, so I, so it varies from week to week, but, but I always try to, you know, pay attention to what it's telling me. Um, you know, and, and typically, uh, it is, it will, I will start to get a feeling of, okay, you know, I need to just, you know, bum, bum around the house and sit on the couch for a little while, or Mm -hmm. I need to make plans, make dinner plans with, uh, you know, a non-equestrian friend. Um, I do have a few of those, (laughs) you know, most of my, most of my friends are or her friends, but, um, uh, I do have a few, um, non-horse friends, uh, now that I've been in Seattle, uh, long enough. So maybe grab dinner or drinks with, with them and, you know, and the horse topic rarely or never comes up, you know, so, so that may be enough for me that week. So, so it really just kind of, um, d- depends in general, you know, I'm a very low maintenance person, but I think I'm able to stay that way because I, I try to, um, you know, maybe be proactive and, and try to, you know, not wait until I'm exhausted and fried mm. and impatient and, you know, all those things. Is that something, that awareness, something that you just picked up from learning the hard way by getting too exhausted or did someone teach you that? I think that's so cool that you are able to be so aware of your own limits and energy levels. You know, I, I don't, exactly no i don't exactly have an answer to that i will say um in college uh you know i took a course and they you know all we had all these different personality tests that they wanted us to sort of play around with and experiment with and that sort of thing and and i will say uh i did test pretty high in the sort of self-awareness category but Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know why i don't know if that's you know, if that's something my parents taught me growing up or if that is just a natural gift I have, you know, I I can't, I don't exactly know why. Um, I can tell you this, I I don't ever remember specifically or strategically working at it, you know, Mm. um, in terms of, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to work on self-awareness. You know, I I, I don't exactly know. um, But 
I, I do know um, I would not, I, I do not like how I feel and I do not like how I am when I have gone way past that sort of that, that meter of that balance meter of, or balance spectrum, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I'm not my best self. I am, I don't smile as much. I am not as friendly. And, and so mm. uh, of course we've all been there and I, you know, I'm, I know myself well enough to know that I do not like myself <laughs> when I, <laughs> when I'm there. Um, so, so that's what I know. So I, I try to, I work hard at, you know, preventing myself from getting there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing those that part of yourself and being willing to share that. I think you're right that a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And I think it's very, very important that uh, that people do. So love that uh, column. Love having you as our hunter jumper uh, yes. columnist in the magazine. Yeah, yeah, it, so it's excited. me too. It challenges me, and and I think ways that have not been challenged before. Uh, professionally. And, and so it, I, I'm really, really enjoying it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, talk about challenging. How are you handling all the coffee options out in Seattle? <laughs> oh my goodness. It, they're far <laughs> too many. And so I, I live in a pretty cool neighborhood. Um, it's called Capitol Hill. Uh, it's a neighborhood in Seattle and um, they are, uh, you know, I'd say there, there's endless possibilities with everything, you know, restaurants, grocery stores, bars, but especially coffee. Um, I have within, you know, two blocks each way of me, probably four different, you know, mom and pop coffee shop type places that are, that are really uh, unique. Um, and then of course you have, you know, Starbucks on every corner, but, um, but it's the sort of unique coffee shops that I like to, you know, go to when I'm home because, you know, you can get Starbucks practically anywhere, anywhere. but yeah. some of these other, you know, local businesses, you, you know, you, you really don't see, you don't see them anywhere else. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, if you ever have a day trip, if you ever have a day off, you should, uh, take the ferry over to Paulsbo. I love downtown Paulsbo. They've got some good little, uh, Viking coffee, I think is one of them. That's really famous and stop by Sly's bakery and get some, they've got some excellent stuff over there. It's a really cute little area, but thank nice. you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Rob, so much for joining us. This has just thank been absolutely you, a blast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And um, I'm glad this worked out. Thanks Rob. And we look forward to every column that you're going to write throughout the year. And uh, I know you're imparting great wisdom because I've been getting great feedback. So sidelines is a uh, blessed to have you again. Sidelines can be found at sidelinesmagazine.com, where you can subscribe to the Sidelines Scoop and get every new issue in your email free. Find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsors today, Blue Ribbon Scholars, Gumbits Zoom Chatting, and Classic Company Horse Shows. We'll see you on the sidelines. <laughs>